0: 10 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs Nine Ten Ministries, we are dedicated to
1: taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that everyone has had to deal with throughout history, and there's a reason for that, because it even lies at the root of the first sin of mankind,
0: and that subject is envy or jealousy. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what you call it, envy, jealousy, or as I've heard some people say, self-pity. It is definitely an ugly monster, and it can have huge effects on our lives and our relationships. But Rose, before we get into the sinful kind of jealousy, let's first clear up something that sometimes people ask about when they're talking about jealousy. In Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15, it says, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Sometimes people are confused about the Bible saying that God is jealous. Yeah, I remember Oprah Winfrey saying she heard this verse at her Baptist
1: church, and that completely turned her off from Christian religion because she's not following a God who's jealous, so that's why she went off to start her cosmic humanism. But Lovely. today, most of us define jealousy and envy in the same negative way. We define them both as covetousness. But jealousy used to imply something different than envy, and it had a positive connotation. Jealousy used to be defined as vigilant in guarding a possession. It came with the notion that there was some sort of rivalry or unfaithfulness that was a threat to that possession.
0: Yeah, much like a husband and wife relationship. If somebody else is, you know, flirtatiously interfering with it, then there's jealousy because it's a threat to that relationship. Exactly. And
1: God seeks to protect his own honor, much like a husband would. He demands and desires his people, the ones he saved, to have absolute loyalty to him. That's why he doesn't allow worship of anything else. It's why the Israelites were to destroy or expel anyone or anything pagan when they entered the promised land, like Exodus 34, 13 to 15 says, and I'll read that. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut their ashram for you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice.
0: Yes, And godly jealousy is also defined as ardor. And that means enthusiasm or passion or having zeal. And zeal is defined great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. God pursues his people and he zealously protects that relationship of love that he has with them. And he's going to do whatever he has to to keep it. Or he already did what he had to to keep it. He sent his son Jesus to do that very thing. So godly jealousy is a
1: good thing. And God's people can even be jealous for God's glory when they see other believers not being loyal to God. Chris, that's one of the reasons we've been doing the episodes we've been doing. Paul gives an example of this in 2 Corinthians eleven two 2 says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed
0: you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Exactly. So now that we've cleared that up for anybody who wondered about God's jealousy, Let's get into our discussion about the envious, covetousness type of jealousy. Let's start by reading how a few dictionaries define envy.
1: Webster's Dictionary defines it as painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess that same advantage. And here's another definition a feeling of disconsented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck.
0: And just to say, we don't believe in luck, but we're just quoting the dictionary here. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, you're (laughs) right. So both envy and jealousy basically mean to covet today. The 10th commandment found in Deuteronomy 5.21 says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or field or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, basically somebody has something that's better than you or they have something that you don't have at all and you want to have it too, whether it's money or looks or position at church or a boyfriend or whatever. It can be almost anything. (laughs) That's right. It's what played
1: a part in original sin. Satan tempted Eve by telling her that God had something that she didn't, the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, there's more to what he told her than that. But it's obvious that she didn't like that God had something, knowledge,
0: that she and Adam didn't. Exactly. And through that temptation, Eve's gaze was turned away from what God had given them. And their focus suddenly becomes what they didn't have. So what'd they do? They ate from the tree and it affected relationships. All relationships, Eve's and God's, Adam's and God's, and Adam and Eve's relationship with each other. Yep. Jealousy can have a huge impact on our relationships. One of the examples, uh, and I'll give that one now, is 1 Samuel 16. We see David serving King Saul. He's soothing his spirit by playing the harp. In verse 21 of that chapter, it says, David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. But just a little while later in chapter 18, after David has killed Goliath, we're told as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? King Saul
1: is so jealous that from this time on, he tries to kill David. While David's trying to soothe him with the harp, he throws a spear at him twice the truth didn't matter to King Saul. The truthful reality of the situation is that King Saul had already let the Philistine army into territory that belonged to God's people. And it was a strategic place for the Philistines to continue overtaking the land of the hill country. So at this location with their champion Goliath, they stood. Saul could have been Israel's champion, but he didn't do anything. It was his job to accept the battle as leader of his people, but he wasn't trusting God to win the battle. And when David arrived on the scene where the giant Goliath was, King Saul was just sitting
0: waiting for someone to do something, even offering money if they go do it. And that's a great point. We can be jealous of someone regardless of the truth of the situation. Sometimes others have things that we don't because they've made an effort that we have it. That's an excellent
1: point, and it happens all the time. And I want to point out in the first Samuel passage that you read, there's a contrast of two different relationships with David. First, King Saul, as we just saw, and then King Saul's son, Jonathan, who was next in line for kingship. But unlike his father, he recognizes that David is going to be the king instead of him. He loves David like he loves himself, Scripture says, and we're told this many times in 1 Samuel. Jonathan is perfectly fine with being David's right-hand man. There's no jealousy. That's a sign of true humility and true love for
0: one another. It definitely is. Envy is really, really bad. Saul was envious because David was getting more notoriety, and it led Saul trying to kill him. I'll look at another example of jealousy with a desire to kill. This one's from King Solomon's time. It's found in 1 Kings 3, 16 to 28. And we don't have time to read the whole thing, but in a nutshell, there are two women living in the same house, and both of them have babies. During the night, one mother's son dies when she lays on him, and she was first to wake up, and she swapped out the babies while the other mother slept. When the sleeping mom woke, she knew it was not her baby that was dead. So they go before King Solomon, both claiming the live baby is theirs.
1: Right. And Mm -hmm. being wise, King Solomon says, and I'm going to quote scripture here, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother.
0: Yeah, I mean, jealousy can not only make us want something that someone else has, it can make us not want them to have it if you can't have it also. In this case, it was a child. The woman would rather see the other living child killed than have the other woman have it.
1: And I think this might be the most common way jealousy plays out. We don't want someone Mm. else having what we don't have. Jealousy Mm. is bad. Not the biblical jealousy, the ungodly jealousy. It's rotten to the core. Let's give a few verses what the Bible says about the bad kind of jealousy or envy. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Proverbs 14.30 says, a
0: tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Pretty clear. The book of James talks a lot about envy and living out our faith. In chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions.
1: Our focus is to be on God and what he wants from us. While in our current circumstances, whatever they may be, Mm -hmm. we're to further his kingdom and bring him glory. We can be in any circumstance, good or bad, and get this terribly wrong.
0: We can, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the cause of our circumstances. God is sovereign over all of our circumstances, and yet we have human responsibility. So when we see someone that has something more than we do, or who has something that we wish we had, we need to stop and keep both aspects of that in mind. We do. Isaiah 45, 7 says,
1: I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And yet, Proverbs 24 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at
0: harvest and have nothing. Yeah. The Israelites were told that it's God who gives the power to get wealth. It's God who chose who was going to be king over Israel. It's God who causes the rain to fall on the saved and the wicked. And yet, verses like, you know, the one from Proverbs that you read. Or Proverbs 10, 4 or 21, 5 and other verses show us the human responsibility side of things. It's not an either or, it's both. Right.
1: And we have to recognize God's sovereignty in our position and accept that. We have to get where we're content. And there's a difference between complacency and contentment. We have to be content. But we also have to recognize where we failed or could have done something different to make our situation better. And instead of being
0: envious of others, try to make our own situation better. Let's talk about some common advice that we hear given to someone who's jealous or envious of somebody. Because there's a lot of catchphrases, I'll say, or common phrases that we hear. And some of them are really unbiblical. So I'll start... How about this one? For instance, one pretty typical answer is, remember, things are not always what they appear to be behind closed doors. I think that gets used a lot. When someone's jealous of somebody else,
1: the first thing many people go to is to tell them to try to reassure them that they shouldn't feel jealous because it might look good on the outside, but in reality, it's probably not nearly as good as it looks.
0: Yeah, we hear. I hear that, um, and I'm sure you do too. When people win the lottery, someone will win the lottery, and then invariably, you'll hear someone comment saying, oh, most of the people who win the lottery in the end are more unhappy than they were before they won.
1: I've heard that. But I don't think that's true. I think it can be true, and maybe it's true in some situations, but we shouldn't placate someone with something that might not be true to try to make them feel better. So. Let's say you're struggling financially with a bunch of bills piling up and someone's telling you you wouldn't be better off if you had the money to pay them off, like the guy who just won the lottery has the ability to. Chris, that obviously makes no sense. And no, it's dumb. And, and I think what's worse, it makes you begin to hope that that person isn't happier. It's all predicated on the same thing. I don't want someone
0: to be happier than me. That's exactly right. I mean, that's a direct contrast to loving others. 1 John four nineteen and 20 says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's right. You know, there's another saying, the grass is always greener
1: on the other side. Sometimes the grass really is greener on the other side, but again, you have to learn contentment and you have to learn to see the truth of life correctly. And guess what? You have to put on your big girl pants and
0: deal with the truth. And that's hard sometimes, but it's true. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 comes to mind about this. It says, If we truly get to the point where we count others more
1: significant than ourselves, that's a good step towards not being envious of them. Let's go to another answer that people sometimes give when someone's envious. They say, you know, there's a lot of others less fortunate than you. Sometimes the advice is even to actually make a list of people who are
0: more unfortunate than you. Chris, That's repulsive. Yeah, it is. And again, it's the same thing you said before, Rose. This is about comparing yourself to others in some attempt to get over feeling envious. Is this good Christian advice for helping somebody get over jealousy? Of course not, because it's
1: reinforcing us to make this jealousy thing about us, which is what the problem with jealousy is. We're still acting like the world instead of people who have been saved by Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, three says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And Proverbs 14.30, we already quoted it once, we'll quote it again. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Oh,
0: good verses for that. So what about the advice to stop and remind yourself of something you have to be thankful for? Well,
1: although we should always be thankful for everything, because everything is from God and we need to be thankful, to use this in an attempt to get rid of jealousy, Chris, once again, the focus is back on us. It's Mm -hmm. basically saying, give yourself a little pep talk. It's not getting to the root of the sin. The same with, start helping out others who are less fortunate. And by doing that, it'll give you a different perspective. Of course, we should always be helping out, especially those who are less fortunate. But once again, this is about us if we're trying to get rid of jealousy. Jesus isn't comparing us to any other people. Why
0: are we comparing ourselves? Right, I mean, and that that actual line gets used a lot. Jesus isn't comparing you to others, so why are you comparing yourself? Jesus isn't comparing you to others. He knows your situation. You know, he's sovereign over it. In fact, that line's used a lot of times for people who don't like the way they look or who are jealous of other people because of the way they look. It was God who formed you in your mother's womb, according to Psalm 139, 13. He knows. He already knows.
1: And I mean, let's be honest here. If it's about your looks and you're saying, oh, I'm a little jealous because I'm not as good looking as this person. And someone says... Well, Jesus isn't
0: comparing you. It's not exactly a very encouraging response. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all of these, if you really think about them, shouldn't be that encouraging. And it's sinful in the way that it is encouraging. That's sinful. I mean it's it's convoluted. That's right. So and this all leads into something we said earlier that sometimes jealousy and envy are referred to as self-pity. And that's not a bad term for it. You know, we feel sorry for ourselves because our circumstances are not as good as somebody else's. But Christians are supposed to learn contentment in all circumstances. You talked about this a little bit ago. In Philippians 4, 11 to 12, the Apostle Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Envy
1: is sinful. We can be envious of others or we can turn our focus to God and ask for forgiveness for it. We can say, what do you want me to do with what you've given
0: me? That's the correct response. Absolutely. And going back to Eve and that first sin through temptation, Satan turned Eve's focus from what God had given her, and he had given her and Adam everything except one tree (laughs) with that knowledge. You know, then Satan convinced her that by disobeying God and eating the fruit, she would not only have all the things that God had given her, but also what he hadn't. And it's sin. Like you said, it's sin.
1: That's right. Envy causes us to stop focusing on what we do have and focus on what we don't have. It's not the same as making a list of things you're thankful for. This is our focus needs to change. We don't have to give in to that temptation. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, "'No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man.'" God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also
0: provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And James 4 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Coveting is sin. When we sin, there's only one thing we can do, and that's to confess our sin to God and turn from it. First John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's
1: the key to mortifying any sin. Repent and turn from it. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit to kill it. Remember, if you are truly a Christian, you're not a slave to your sin nature anymore. You can resist it. You won't get it perfect, but you can resist it. And one of the main steps in doing that is to remember who we are. Like we said, you're a new creation in Christ. You're not that old sinful person that you were. Paul talks about the fact that we're no longer dominated by our sin. Like we said, you can say no. And our gaze can go in directions that it shouldn't, and it certainly does often. But we
0: have the ability to stay focused on our own stuff. Right. And the first step to all of that is admitting what we're doing is sinful. You know, are we dissatisfied with something that we can't change, but that God has put in our lives? If we're doing that, then we have to repent of our dissatisfaction with God's plan and turn from that dissatisfaction and ask God what he wants us to do with our circumstances. Mm -hmm. And second,
1: we need to be truthful to ourselves and maybe someone else who's holding us accountable for our human responsibility and our role in the situation. If there's sin that led us to where we are, we need to repent and turn from that sin and make good to anyone or anything that we need to do. Don't be like King Saul, who was jealous of David when, in fact, King Saul hadn't done what he should have done himself. And if it's something that's not caused by sin, then we need to repent of our dissatisfaction, like you
0: said, Chris, and pray for contentment. Exactly. And, you know, remember, Christ died for our sin don't just remember that the penalty has been paid, but remind ourselves that a penalty had to be paid. And I'm not saying that you should stay feeling guilty, but I say that in hopes that the realization of our rescue from God's wrath will result in thankfulness that leads us to a different behavior. Right. And fourth,
1: do whatever you can to stay away from the temptation. And here's some practical ideas that might help. Get off of social media, or at least lessen the Mm -hmm. amount of time we spend on it if that's what's causing a problem.
0: Yeah, because people are almost always putting their best foot forward on social media. And while it's true that we should be able to be content regardless of this, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking things off of our plate that are temptations that make us go back to sin. Absolutely. If there's people in your life who
1: have things that you're envious of, but You get to enjoy them at times, like Chris's spare bedroom that I often stay in when I'm down there. And thank God for those people who are so generous and let you enjoy these things. And thank God that there's
0: people in your life like this and who want to give you pleasure with the things that God has given them. Yeah, that's a great point. I know you're jealous of my cats, really. (laughs) Here's just another tip. You know, stay busy trying to grasp for things that we don't have or constantly desiring them and never being able to get them is not fulfilling. You know, it's good to keep your body and your mind busy. Otherwise we'll just dwell on stuff. But what might happen if we looked at what we had, the small amount of money we have, the position we're called to a church that seems kind of mundane, the job we do on a daily basis. And we ask God to help us use what we already have for his glory. That sounds like that would be a great start.
1: When we focus on what we don't have and what others do have, it robs us of the ability to see that God is good all the time. It can cause us to stop taking care of things God's already given us and leave those things in ruin instead of using them for kingdom work. Like we said, we need to be
0: content. So Chris, how do you suggest we become content? I'm going to read the same verses I read before and, and finish them out this time. In Philippians 4 11 to 13, Paul said, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what that verse is talking about. Learning how to be content in all situations. Not that you can go out and run a race if you've never run in your life. I think Paul tells us, you know, in that last line, what we need to do. We need to do this through the strength of Christ. In other words, relying on God.
1: And I think any martyr or Christian who's been persecuted or spent time in prison would say that is absolutely how they got through Paul himself was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being conceited. Most commentators think this was a kind of illness. Paul pleaded with God to take it away three times, but the answer he Mm -hmm. got was my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. The only way to true contentment like Paul had is to have intimacy with God and rely on his strength, not our own. We'll never be content by making a list of the things that we have that we should be thankful for, nor comparing ourselves to people who have less. It's in
0: our weakness that showcases God's power more than in our strengths. Yep. But envy can really, really wreck our relationship with God if we let it. It can. I've heard people express their anger towards God
1: because they feel their prayers weren't being answered or because they're jealous of other people because everyone else seems to have more than they do. We have to come to grips with the fact that God's not a Marxist or a socialist, as some might want you to believe. He has not and will not, in this life at least, make all things equal in all ways for everyone. He just doesn't. And we know that because he tells us in Deuteronomy fifteen eleven where it says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. That is why I am commanding you to open wide your hand to your brother and to the poor and needy in the land.
0: Yeah. And Jesus reiterates that in Mark 14, 7, where he says, for you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me there's always going to be poor. That means that some people will always have more money. Some people will always have more gifts or more talents or be better looking or smarter, or some will have more freedoms than others just because of where God has placed them to live. You name it. And somebody has something better than you. Absolutely. And that's going to be true of believers and non-believers. Chris,
1: some of this comes from believing false teachers and false memes, as we've said over and over again. We can't be believing the false teaching that tells you God's got your rescue coming or God wants you to have the best right now. He's already bought the most important and really the only rescue that you need Jesus. Jesus came to rescue his people from God's wrath.
0: And that's the same for all believers. Absolutely. And we should be thankful for that over and above everything, even if we never had anything else. So, Are we constantly praying for things that God is not bringing into our lives and being mad about it? Are we rejecting the life that the sovereign God, the creator of everything gave to us? If so, we need to repent and ask God to help us focus on what he has given us and ask him how to use it for his glory to the best of our abilities.
1: And we're going to have to do this over and over and over again. Because not only is it tough to kill this green eyed monster called envy, but as with any sin on this side of heaven, we're not going to get it perfect. And there's just no easy way out of this. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. If God plans each of our lives before even day one of them happens, then what we're saying when we want to reject what he's given us because we'd rather have what he's given to
0: someone else is what, Chris? It's saying, I don't want what you've given me, God. You That's know, right. I, I want what you gave him or her or whatever. And, you know, these are tough things that we're saying and tough things that we have to grapple with so that we can get the kind of contentment that Paul had in every situation even in jail, and even while he had this thorn in his side that would not quit and that God would not take away. Exactly. You know, there's one piece of advice that we probably have all heard
1: that is actually true, that on your deathbed, what you had in this life is not going to matter.
0: Yep, it won't. And Jesus said as much in the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 13 to 21. He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There's a poem
1: by C.T. Studd about where our focus is to be. It's called Only One Life, and Mm -hmm. we'll read it. It's kind of long, but it's a beautiful poem, so hang in there. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. That still small voice. Gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life twill
0: soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call. I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Beautiful. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned for our upcoming book news and other information that we have going on and check out our Proverbs 910 Ministries website. It's been completely redone by Chris. Have a blessed day, everybody.